Alpha and Omega, the story we find ourselves in. Chapter 14a, Christ's ministry, God's true king manifests his kingdom. Since the Gospels are not arranged chronologically, but more thematically to communicate to a specific audience, it is difficult to trace a narrative of the life of Jesus. However, there is a general structure and a number of overlapping themes that define the life, ministry, and kingdom impact of Jesus Christ. Eighteen years had passed since the day Mary and Joseph found Jesus in the temple. Jesus had been in Nazareth, probably engaged in his father's carpentry business. Most believe that by this time Joseph had died, and Jesus as the oldest son had stepped into the role as the head of the family. At about the age of 30, Jesus began a public and itinerant ministry as a rabbi in Galilee. Jesus' public ministry actually began months before his appearance on the scene. John the baptizer, the forerunner of Jesus, was the prophetic voice whose announcement of the inauguration of God's kingdom through the arrival of the Messiah tied Old Testament promises to their fulfillment in Jesus. John was, was miraculously born to the old priest Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, who were childless. That sound familiar? Elizabeth was a cousin to Mary who became the mother of Jesus. Remember that when the two met, Elizabeth said that the baby John leaped in her for joy in her womb. John's whole life was marked by that same joy in Jesus. He was the prophet like Elijah that Malachi had promised would come. He appeared in the Judean wilderness, announcing that the Messiah of Israel was coming because he was a messenger, a voice crying in the wilderness. John baptized people from all walks of life in the Jordan River as a sign of their repentance or life change in preparation for the Messiah's arrival. Why that particular place? It was at the Jordan River that God's people, Israel, had first crossed into the Promised Land, ready to live out who God meant them to be. This moment at the Jordan River was a new beginning, a return to God's original design and purpose for his people. In the face of many questions, John consistently denied that he was the Messiah, insisting he must increase and I must decrease. As soon as Jesus appeared publicly, John pointed his followers to him. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he stepped aside. Jesus later said that among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Geographically, Jesus' ministry generally moves from northern Palestine, Galilee, where Capernaum and the Sea of Galilee were, to the south, to Judea, where Jerusalem was. It's helpful to be aware of the setting of these various incidents. The baptism of Jesus was performed by John in the Jordan River as an expression of Jesus' obedient submission to God and the beginning of his public ministry. Jesus was not baptized as confession or repentance or to wash away sin, but to affirm God's will. As Jesus emerged from the water, the voice of God, the Father's approval, was heard. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. And God the Holy Spirit descended like a dove on him, signaling his anointing and empowering. Immediately after his baptism, Jesus retreated into the Judean wilderness to fast and pray. After 40 days, corresponding to Israel's 40 days of wandering in the wilderness, Satan came. The temptations of Jesus by Satan were intended to deceive Jesus' heart and divert him from God's redemptive purpose for his life. 
but he resisted with God's word. Satan questioned Jesus' identity, if you are the son of God. He appealed to Jesus' physical need, turn the stones to bread. He lied about the consequences of going against God's design for the world. If you throw yourself from the temple, God will catch you. You won't die. And offer Jesus access to God's unique authority over all the world. If Jesus would simply bow down, worship, and submit to him. Notice that these temptations are the exact same temptations that Adam and Eve faced in Eden. Yet Jesus battled the enemy's lies and deceit with the true word of God and did not give in to Satan's guile. Jesus faithfully lived the purpose God intended for Adam and passed the test that Adam and Eve had failed. Jesus' first messages introduced the theme and center of his earthly mission, the kingdom of God. In Galilee, he preached, the time was fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. He told his disciples, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God, for I was sent for this purpose. Wherever he went, this is what he focused on. He went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. The good news is that in Jesus, God the King is breaking into history to liberate people from their sin and renew the whole world to be what he intended at creation. He is inviting people to enter his kingdom, rediscover their purpose for living, and enjoy his life, love, hope, joy, and peace forever. This is an announcement of a mighty king's royal intentions. Or as the authors Bartholomew and Gohim put it, God is returning to rule. God talked, Jesus talked, taught, modeled, and trained his disciples more for the king and his kingdom than anything else. Jesus moved from place to place around northern Galilee and used the fishing city of Capernaum as a home base. He began to teach, but very early on, Jesus revealed the kingdom through miracles and signs that demonstrated his compassion for people and his authority over creation, disease, demons, and death. These mighty works not only proved Jesus' authority, validated him in the eyes of others, and gave people reasons to believe in him, They showed that the king had come to reverse the curse and all the consequences of sin that had been at work in the world since Eden. They all pointed ahead to the restoration of all things to their created purpose. John's gospel is uniquely built on seven miraculous signs, several of which, such as the changing of water to wine and raising of Lazarus, are not mentioned in any other gospel. So some examples of Jesus' miracles that show his authority, his authority over creation, with the feeding of the 5,000. Huge crowd of people, 5,000 men plus family members may have pushed the number closer to 15,000, had been following and listening to Jesus' teaching all day. As evening neared, the disciples suggested that Jesus dismiss the crowd so they could scatter to surrounding areas to find something to eat. But Jesus told the disciples themselves to give the people something to eat. The disciples did some quick calculations and figured that eight months of a working man's salary would only be enough to get everyone a bite. Nobody had that kind of money. Jesus asked what food they had, and they found one, one young boy with a, with a lunch, five biscuit-sized loaves and a couple of sardine-sized fish. One guy called it a lunchable. Jesus took that meager snack, blessed it, and had the disciples begin to distribute it among the crowd, and they kept passing out food. Everyone in the crowd ate, 
the scripture says, until they were satisfied. And after they were done, the 12 disciples picked up a basket each of leftovers to take home. Another example, Jesus' authority over creation was the stilling of the storm in the sea. While crossing the Sea of Galilee, a severe storm arose and threatened to swamp their boat. Jesus was sleeping through it all. When the disciples woke him in a panic, we're going to die. Jesus awoke, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And the disciples, water still streaming down their face, marveled that the wind and the sea obeyed this man. What about Jesus' authority over disease? There's a story of Jesus healing a chronically sick woman. A woman had been hemorrhaging for 12 years, which made her ritually unclean and unable to attend worship, as well as keeping her in poverty because all her money went to a futile search for a cure. In the crowd, by faith, she reached out just to touch just the edge, the fringe of Jesus' robe and was instantly made whole. Jesus sensed that power had gone out from him and asked who touched him. The disciples said, how can you ask that? There's people all around you. And he said, power has gone out. And the woman came forward when he asked and told her story. And Jesus affirmed her faith. Another time, Jesus healed an outcast leper. Those who contracted, contracted the skin disease of leprosy were designated ritually unclean so they could not attend worship at temple. They were required to be physically separate from their family and community so they had no social interaction and had to yell, unclean, unclean, when encountering anyone. So they had no identity or even a name. All that to prevent others from suffering the same fate since it was believed the leprosy was contagious. It was a cruelly isolating experience. But a leper came to Jesus begging, if you will, you can make me clean. Move with compassion. Jesus touched the man. You wonder how long had it been since he had experienced human touch. And he said, oh, I will be clean. And immediately his skin was cleared of the disease. What about Jesus' authority over demons? There was the exorcism of the demon-possessed man in the tombs of Gadara. Jesus came to announce a new king in the world, and he had appeared, First John says, to destroy the works of the devil, who acts as a ruler of this world. So when Jesus came to the region of the Gadarenes, he was accosted by a man indwelt with an army of demons who identified themselves as legion. That was a organization of the Roman Empire. There would have been 12,000 of those. He was a threat to others who could not be physically restrained even with chains, lived naked among the tombs, always screamed with a loud voice and cut himself with stones. When Jesus commanded the demons to leave him, the demons begged permission to go into a herd of pigs, which Jesus allowed. The pigs then ran down in banquet and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen of the pigs went and told the townspeople who came out to find the man who had been demon-possessed sitting with Jesus, clothed, the Bible says, in his right mind, able to talk and engage. The people were terrified by what they could not explain. They actually asked Jesus to leave. The man wanted to come with Jesus, but Jesus instead told him to go and tell everyone what the Lord had done for him and how the Lord had had mercy on him. 
And finally, there is Jesus' authority with his miracles and signs over death, with the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus was a disciple and friend to Jesus, brother to Mary and Martha. When he heard that Lazarus was sick, Jesus told his disciples that his illness would show the glory of God. And he waited three days longer before traveling to Bethany where the family lived. In the meantime, Lazarus had died. Both sisters greeted Jesus in the same way. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus talked about Lazarus rising, Martha thought he was speaking of the resurrection at the end of time. But Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. When he accompanied Mary to the tomb and saw the grief that death brought, Jesus also wept. He instructed them to move the stone away from the mouth of the tomb. Ever practical Martha protested, body's going to stink. But Jesus told her to keep looking for the glory of God. Jesus stood before the opening of the tomb and called out, Lazarus, come out. Three days dead Lazarus, still wrapped in his burial cloth, walked out of his own grave into the light of day. Jesus told the people, unbind him, let him go. And many of the people who had come to grieve with Mary walked away believing in Jesus. These mighty works and many more drew people to Jesus who then heard him teach and became more acquainted with his message and his purpose. And out of these people, Jesus gathered a kingdom community composed of apostles and disciples, the traditionally left out, especially women, and religious outcasts and sinners. The prophets had promised that scattered Israel would one day be gathered again under God's reign, like sheep gathered by a shepherd. God's new people would begin with Israel and then expand to include people from all nations. The good shepherd was doing just that. Jesus' initial invitation to people was never about joining a sect or a party, but about a people who had responded to the invitation of the king and gladly participated in his kingdom. They were called to repent, turn away from false views of the world and of life, and to believe or trust in Jesus for a, a new view of the world and a new life and order their lives around Jesus' word and way. Those who responded to Jesus' invitation were called disciples, they were learners or apprentices to Jesus' way. And there were many of them. They came from all strata of society, from blind beggars to wealthy and influential men like Joseph of Arimathea. Some lived out that commitment where they lived as part of their everyday life, like Mary, Martha, Lazarus, Mary Magdalene, the man from whom the demons had been cast out, and dozens of others. Still others, like the pair of fishermen brothers, Peter and Andrew, James and John, heard from Jesus a calling similar to the rabbis of that day, come, follow me, and left everything to travel full time with Jesus. One of those clearly was the apostle Peter. The impulsive fisherman who became part of Jesus' inner circle was restored after his denial of Jesus and later became a key leader of the early church. Peter was the first disciple called to leave everything behind and follow Jesus. He was brash and impulsive, often speaking first and thinking later, but was always marked by a deep passion for Jesus. Peter, along with James and John, became Jesus' most intimate friends. It was Peter who dared to ask to join Jesus walking on the water, and did 
It was Peter who confessed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. It was Peter who did not want Jesus to wash his feet. It's Peter who denied even knowing who Jesus was and abandoned him when he most needed a friend. It was Peter who was restored and became the first preacher of the gospel of the resurrection on the day of Pentecost. Peter became the rock Jesus had always seen him to be, the one on whose faith he would build his church. Among those, among those disciples, those 12 were called out and designated apostles or sent ones. Jesus took this decision very seriously, spending a whole night in prayer before he called his disciples and chose from among them 12 whom he named apostles. The apostles were personally chosen to be with him, to be immersed in his life, to watch his interactions, to observe his choices, to listen to his teaching, to engage in clarifying conversations and overhear his prayer with his heavenly father. The goal was that his life would become theirs because they were going to carry the mission of Jesus forward into the world. Why were there 12 apostles? Well, there were 12 tribes of Israel. And this marked the beginning of the renewed nation of Israel, the renewed people of God. Jesus specifically included in his kingdom community one group socially left out by Jewish and Middle Eastern culture, women. Women had few rights, little value, and no voice in the culture of that day. They were easily abused and had little legal protection. By his treatment of women, Jesus raised their status in a way that was both socially and spiritually radical. Mary Magdalene, Salome, and others were named as a key part of the band of disciples and were with Jesus from the early days in Galilee all the way to the end. Jesus specifically went to Samaria to talk with a woman at the well who immediately became an agent of bringing many in her town to faith. Mary sat at Jesus' feet, learning like a man would from a rabbi, and Jesus refused to rebuke her and sent her to the kitchen to do women's work. The women caught, woman caught in the very act of adultery was not shamed or condemned by Jesus, but forgiven and sent to live a new life. Another woman with a poor moral reputation wet Jesus' feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. He received her love and assured her forgiveness in a house full of Pharisees. When Mary broke the flask of perfume to anoint Jesus, he was not scandalized by the waste but said that her passionate expression of worship would be told everywhere the gospel was told. The first witnesses and proclaimers of the resurrection were women. In every situation, Jesus welcomed women near to him and included them in his mission. Finally, Jesus also regularly invited into his family and community those who most observant Jews and their religious leaders classified as spiritual outcasts and sinners. Both Matthew and Zacchaeus were tax collectors, men who made a practice of collaborating with the hated Roman oppressors and swindling their own Jewish family for personal profit. Everybody hated and ostracized them. Yet Jesus called them to follow him, and both left everything to do so. Soon after responding to Jesus' invitation, Matthew hosted a party at his house with his friends who were, well, other tax collectors and people who would hang out with them. And Jesus, who loved a good party, went to Matthew's house and was enjoying a good meal with him. How do you think the religious leaders viewed that? The Bible says the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, why does he eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. 
I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Scoundrels and prostitutes and political operatives and the poverty-stricken and people of questionable moral standing and others that polite religious society had cast aside all responded to Jesus' invitation and became a part of his new kingdom community. This was different. 